Durant. Oh! A jawbreaker! Curry with a drive, blocked by Jackson. Bain, step back three. Okay, welcome into another episode of the Core 4 Podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. I'm Matthew Gill, joined as always by the king of X's and O's, Xavier Dotson and DC Dave, David Buckler. Today, guys, we're going to be talking rookies, looking at the new guys coming in who have joined the Grizzlies this season. Some ups and downs in the Summer League and the preseason games we've seen so far, but we'll get into all that. In just a second, let's start here. Fell Xavier, you were in attendance today for the Grizzlies open practice. You have any big takeaways that you came away with? Man, the team looked like they just connected, well connected, and they're about to have fun. Um, from the jump, you could just tell that they was excited to play in front of the crowd. The crowd was into it. John Morant shirtless, dunking, <laughs> dunking the ball. Um Jaron and 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 uh Danny Green was out there surprisingly. They well they weren't just doing a full shoot full practice, but they were shooting around. It was great seeing those guys. But it's just happy that like the energy around the city now is just fiending towards the Grizzlies. Like it's great energy. Ja coming out the parking lot, signing autographs, letting it be known, like, yo, I'm here for the city, like this is my town. And I'm just happy to see that. Like it was great basketball, fun to watch, and I'm happy. Yeah, I saw the jaw video. It, it is always good. You know, I mean, he can sneak out of there if he wants. He doesn't have to do all that. But, yeah, to come out and kind of meet with the people face-to-face and stuff like that. So you saw Jaron was actually shooting around? Yeah, he wasn't um, participating he in shoots. He wasn't, he wasn't running, like, scrimmages, but he was out there, like, shooting around. Dan Green was out there as well. Honestly, like, he was doing a little bit of drop, uh, dribble moves and ball movement skills, so – Jared looking pretty good out there for a guy that's coming from a foot injury. Yeah, yeah, the the foot, the you know, he's had so many different injuries, you know, just to even him going out there and shooting at all. That's that's definitely a good sign and that's that's some good inside information you get when you send guys um to open practices like that. I know you know Xavier was there obviously and then shout out Bryson Wright, he does a great job for us as well. He was there. Um so look at all of that kind of stuff coming on uh the Grizzly Bear Blues website. Uh, before we get into the rookies uh, for a little preview today, David, there's been a ton of NBA headlines the last couple of months as we kind of get towards the season, everything going down in Phoenix from, you know, the owner on the way down to Jay Crowder. They've been kind of a mess, obviously, the MAU Doka um, scandal, if you want to call it that, in suspension. And then this week we get a report from Shams originally that Draymond and Jordan Poole got into some kind of altercation and then that leads into um you know the fight actually the video being leaked out was there any uh takeaways you have from that does it kind of change your view of the Warriors this season does it affect their title odds at all in your eyes I think it changes my entire view of the league I, I think if you look at last season you had the NBA finals teams Golden State and Boston they're, they're in disarray right now they, they have plenty of time to fix it. It's early, right? And maybe by January, we'll feel differently. But these were these were teams in the finals, and I think they have some real problems internally. And then you look at the number one seed with the Phoenix Suns, and they're a mess. So I think my biggest takeaway is we have to treasure what the Grizzlies have right now because, unfortunately, it can go away. Xavier, if, you know, when you went to the open practice, I love what you said about the camaraderie 
about the spirit around the team. And, and boy, I hope they keep it, right? Because all we need is someone to now need to get a payday, and now there's some internal rumblings of unhappiness. It, the, the balance, these are such complex organizations, professional sports teams. And in one offseason, we've seen three of the best teams from last year I mean, they're shaky going into this next season. Am I am I misunderstanding that? I think they're in trouble. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a real – go ahead, Xavier, sorry. Yeah, especially coming from, like, the Warriors. I mean, this is a team that's won four championships within the past seven years. And you got a, the core, the same core of Curry, Thompson, and Draymond Green. I know that they have a lot, a lot of new youth in Jordan Poole, Kaminga, and whatnot. And Draymond Green, we've known him as a guy that's always been emotional and has the attention on him. And he he's not afraid to express his opinions. But, yeah, something like this, and especially for the video to leak out, it's not a good look. And- I mean, but let me ask you guys this. Like, if we heard the story that Brandon Clark reared back and, and, and popped Dylan Brooks and had a real, real serious fight, I wouldn't feel good about that. I wouldn't no, mean- not at all. And even yeah. if they come out and they say the right things, like, well, you know, I mean, we, we got through it. We're, we're brothers, you know, this is, I wouldn't feel good about a story like that. Golden State has plenty of time to fix this. The one thing that's interesting about the reporting of the story was, well, was like Jordan Poole was pretty cocky about it, getting Jordan's pool and he was going to have like the best swimming pool. I mean, Draymond Green makes $25 million a year. I mean, it, could this have been a money thing? Like, it, it seems to me there's more to this story than Jordan Poole was a little cocky at practice. Well, yeah, and my question to you is going to be, you know, we've always heard and it was covered in the last dance. We've talked about Jordan a lot on this podcast, but the, you know, he fought Steve Kerr. Draymond is obviously the emotional leader of that team. Do you buy in, in into it at all that this was like a leadership kind of move to like put Poole back in his place? I'll tell you what I uh, what I thought, honestly, also was Dennis Rodman became a character. Dennis Rodman, we all know, was fantastic with the Pistons, had a wonderful basketball career. Towards the end, you know, he was flying off to Vegas to, to film Monday Nitro and, you know, he was doing pro wrestling and he would take his shoes off on the bench and he was disrespectful. You know, he kind of crossed over to not being worth the trouble. And I think back to the last series we played with Golden State where Draymond Green was jumping around and egging on the crowd and, you know, after a while, it's like, Draymond, don't lose sight of the fact you're still a professional basketball player. You're a really, really good basketball player. But they can get so into what their character is and who he's supposed to be. I, I, we'll see how this goes. I thought, like, Rodman's career ended sort of badly, and he lost some respect throughout the league. And I, I just wonder if Draymond's going down that same path. Yeah, yeah. let's not forget um, during that series, especially during the playoffs, he was recording a podcast, and you're yeah. in a finals – you're, you're, you're heading towards the finals run. Like, your focus can't be fully into basketball if you're able to report a podcast, especially if it was a game one when he got elbowed and he had to, uh, he had his response and talk, telling him how he felt about the Dylan Brooks situation with the flagrant foul. It is looking at Draymond Green that his career sort of could be on, I mean, on the decline. He He's not the same Draymond Green from 2014 through 2017, giving you 10, 10, 10 a night basically and as well the Warriors have the money issue coming up Draymond Green is actually on his contract year Jordan Poole is on the contract year and he's an up and rising star Draymond Green is older and digressing 
So it could have been some contract talk that really said something and escalated that. But we'll, we will probably never know the true answer. And what's interesting about, you know, and we talk about the Warriors here because they're the, the world champions and they're important, is he does provide that team something they don't really have in other guys on the roster. This isn't just like he's another three-point shooter for them. Without Draymond Green, they lose quite a bit of toughness. And they, they and he's kind of the enforcer, right, to make sure no one messes around with Steph Curry and he keeps everybody in line. I think they lose something if he's not mentally engaged. He's stepping away from the team for we don't know how long. I, I think I think it's I think it's something. I, I think it's something. There's plenty of time to fix it. But if this were the Memphis Grizzlies, I would be very concerned about this upcoming season if already in training camp there was that kind of unhappiness. Yeah, absolutely. I can't it can't um it has to have some effect, I would think. And by the way, I would take Dylan Brooks in that fight against Brandon Clark. <laughs> the uh the last thing I wanted to add to, I, I you know, a little bit conspiracy temple hat stuff, but Xavier, you brought up the contract stuff. Do you think that this video clearly came from an internal source? It's obviously practice footage. Do you lend any credence to the fact that possibly this was leaked purposefully to somehow take away some value from Draymond? You know, maybe they bring that up in contract negotiations. Like, hey, man, you're you're taken away from the team. We're not giving you another max deal. Do you think that anybody – in the Golden State organization, maybe had something to do with it getting out. Um, it's it's hard to like believe in the conspiracies. I know based off the Steve Kerr reactions, his comments, he didn't seem he seemed like he was pretty much tired of Draymond's stuff. Like I'm I'm sick and tired of Draymond's stuff. And again, like Draymond Green, it, within this past year with the podcast, him being animated, it's carried on. You see, Kevin Durant. The reason, the reason why KD left Golden State was basically because of Draymond Green. Oh, and yeah. KD was a top, was basically the number two player in the world, right behind Stephen Curry. And here you go again. You got another star on the rise with Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole had an amazing season last year. You don't want to take that chance of Jordan Poole not wanting to be in Golden State due to the fact that Draymond Green is there. And Draymond Green is getting older. He's not, yes, he brings the toughness, but his his scoring, his rebounding. And, I mean, he does have great facilitating skills, but he's getting older. So you got youth on the way that's on the rise. You got Kaminga that's able to grow and fill that spot. So it could have been something that Jordan Poole said, something in that way that could have really made Draymond pretty mad. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, it's a total conspiracy. I don't, I don't know that it, it will definitely be brought up, the fact that he's, you know, that he's, Cause rubbing people the wrong way, whatever it might be, once uh, contract negotiations get going for them. Um, which and and sure. Matt, to, Matt, to bring it around to the Memphis Grizzlies, all this talk about Dylan Brooks in the playoffs, how he broke the code and all the whining from the Warriors in that second round series in May, you know, it's like they're more concerned that the video got leaked mm-hmm. than that one of their teammates, it, I mean, he could have broken his jaw or worse. That was a, once the video comes out, everything changes. It's a it was a very violent video, and they're in total cover up. You know, uh, trying to you know make everything kind of go away. But boy, they were really upset with Dylan Brooks, weren't they? For a team oh, that yeah. you know has this image. Yeah, it is a little bit of hypocrisy there. And yeah, they so. were de- they were definitely in cover up mode for sure. Nobody wanted to say the word punch for whatever reason in the initial. Um, reporting but yeah so we'll keep an eye on that obviously um, they are one of the great rivals for the Grizzlies so we will um, find out down the road how much it affects them Um, 
let's take it on down to climbing corner guys and let's get started here with our rookie preview all right down in climbing corner now the kenny lofton colt guys is it's out of control it's all grizzlies twitter seems to be talking about these days the argument seems to be, or it is a popular opinion, that eventually his two-way contract should be converted to a uh, full-time deal, and and that that should come sooner rather than later seems to be a uh, big topic going on online right now. Xavier, what do you think about the uh, aspect or the prospects of converting Kenny Loft into a full-time uh, member of the Memphis Grizzlies this season? I say they need to go ahead and do it. Um, I watched Kenny that first game of preseason, and it was just like a a baseball glove, a baseball fit into a glove. He really showed, and 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 I feel like he slimmed down. He showed that he's uh, NBA. He's trying to be NBA ready, and he was engaged, and he fit the system. Um, it's really hard to have to not want him on the court. I'm not, I know fans really want to see him more and more this preseason. He's only played one game, basically. Um, Why is that? Taylor, Why did he not suit up the last two games? Do we know? Well, it's Taylor Jenkins running his different rotations. I really think he's trying to figure out who's going to be the 10 players that he's going to play every single night. And which Kenny Lofton, he doesn't just fit the rotation yet. But you look and see, okay, how who can he's on a two-way right now. Whose spot can he take? I'm, I look at Killian Tilly, and Killian Tilly has not played at all this preseason. He's out on some type of injury. I don't know the details. But that's another thing. He has an injury history. Killian Tilly, the past two years since he's been with the Grizzlies, <clears throat> it's always some injury history. And don't get me wrong, Kill, Killian played some great minutes last year, especially when COVID really hit, hit us. But if you can't be out there on the court, we have to – have somebody in that spot. So I really think Kenny can take his spot. Yeah, I think one of the main factors of him not playing as much so far as the big question right now is who is going to be that that starting four and that lends itself to having open competition with, uh, you know, obviously Aldama's stepped up in a big way, see what Xavier Tillman's doing. So I think that that kind of plays a role in the in the uh, slowly bringing along Kenny Lofton would be my understanding. But Dave, um, what are your thoughts on bringing Kenny Lofton up to the big squad full time? Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, Brandon Abraham's article on this on, on GBB. I thought he had uh, some good perspectives. And, and I'm going to sort of disagree with you, Xavier, here on this. I think one of the the amazing things about our general manager is he's able to, to define a player like this. And there's no rush to do this. One of, one of the, the benefits of finding a Kenny Lofton Jr. and signing to a two-way contract is we can make sure Killian Tilly can be a contributor or not. We can really take a look at the other people on the roster before we make a decision. There's just no rush. I know they have a 45-day max where they can train with a team. They get paid, basically, if they're in the G League or the NBA. There, there's, there's financial pieces to it. I love Kenny Lofton. I think he has a future. But there's no rush to do this. I go back to the summer when everybody, like the minute they heard KD was, you know, available, we were all coming up, well, we can send Brooks and Zaire and three number ones and four pick swaps and get it done, Zach Kleinman. You know, he, I give him an awful lot of credit for his patience and his diligence and I think that he found someone here who can be a long-term contributor, but converting the contract right now, I don't think is smart business. And one thing I think we've learned from, from Kleiman is he's very business oriented, not emotional oriented. And I think like you said, like everyone loves Loft and we love him. 
And he's going to get paid. He's going to play. But I, I think let's let's just wait until we get into the season and let him get some more time in the G League. And I think that will eventually happen. I do not think it should happen now. Yeah, I side with you on that one, Dave. I, I think that that patience is the right way to go. And, and my thought is, Kenny Law, when you get one of these rookies who is like, you know, diamond in the rough, late second round or undrafted free agent like Lofton, you want to see guys like that on the floor for you when you're the Rockets or or the the Magic or if you're the Thunder. Like, the, he doesn't really fit in my mind for a team like the Grizzlies who have championship aspirations, you know what I mean? The only way the, – the the waiving um, or releasing of Killian Tilly seems to be the way that they would get him on the roster. Uh, but for him to actually see some real minutes, I think it's going to take getting Xavier Tillman out. I think that that's what the spot that he would fill in the long term. But uh, just to clean up a couple things, the the you know his two-way contract doesn't count towards the cap. So as you said, Dave, it's a really good business move to keep him on that kind of deal for as long as possible. Uh, he can play up to 50 games and, you know, nobody else can sign him at, uh, while he is on that deal. So, I mean, it is really good business. As you said, it uh, keeps him around in Memphis and makes him available to be uh, part of the long-term goals. Let me ask you guys, if they convert the contract, what does he sign for then in terms of what's his salary cap impact then? What is what What, what, what would his money be? I think um, it is. Go ahead, Zimmer. Yeah, I was about to say, I know with Killian Tilly and John Conchart, when they were once two ways and they got signed, it typically is a two-year, maybe like two or $3 million contract in, in that range. So it's not something that's just a ridiculous amount of money. But at the same time, it, on a business perspective, you do have to watch watch out for those kind of type of contracts. Yeah, and as of right now, I believe what he's making, again, doesn't count towards the cap, but it is, I believe what I read was half of the uh, veteran minimum, I think is mm-hmm. however however much that would be. So that's how much cash he's taking. But again, doesn't doesn't affect the cap in any way. And then once um, they convert it, I believe it basically works like they buy out the two-way deal and, and then, you know, supplement them for whatever the rookie minimum would be. And that would be what he counted for against the cap. But um, you know, and, and Tilly right now, when I was looking at the cap numbers today, I think he was like 1.9. So something in there, I would say, if he if he did get converted, um, you know, obviously Contrar is a little bit different. Uh, he's, you know, signed that new deal and stuff. So it, it is a little bit different, but uh, definitely not anything that's going to like put him into the luxury, luxury tax or anything like that. But yeah, I, I, I like Kenny a lot. I think <laughs> Xavier, we, we, you know, you were talking about Victor Wimbam Yama on your, uh, YouTube videos and and Scoot Henderson when the Ignite team comes I want to go see Scoot and Kenny Lofton go at it yeah. though man when the, when they're down here uh, going to play the Memphis Hustles that's something we got to check out for sure yeah yeah you're right about that but, yeah but we're all fans right and and oh yeah enjoy the team and but we need someone in 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 the uh, GM chair who's looking at this in in the, in the right business frame of mind and I and I think you know again like when Durant was available all the fans are like coming up with like trades to get Kevin Durant. And and Clyman's like, this is not for us right now. This is not the right play. I think we can at least feel confident that we have pretty strong leadership in place. And he is going to manage the roster and especially the contracts in a pretty good way. We saw with the Steven Adams extension. 
I think most people feel it was pretty reasonable. It keeps Adams around for a couple years at what, 12 and a half million a year. He's a good fit for us. And maybe by the time that he's ready to go, you know, maybe someone else can now jump in and he's, he's no longer a part of our future. But I think having Adams for another two, two and a half, three years is great. I just think Kenny Lofton Jr. is a very, very fun story in the offseason. We haven't seen any production in the regular season. You know, we'll, we'll see. Let, let, there's no need to rush into this. And that's why you pay someone like Zach Kleiman to make that decision. And Kleiman, we trust. Yeah. All right. Let's, um, let's move on over to Xavier's X's and O's. We'll talk about another pretty exciting rookie, guys. All right. Xavier's X's and O's. Xavier. Jake LaRavia was uh, a guy who I was pretty high on coming into the draft. For whatever reason, the shooting has not really translated so far. Two out of ten from three in the two preseason uh, appearances so far against the Bucks and Magic. He played. He did not play against the uh, Heat the other night. But uh, I I wonder, what do you see from LaRavia? Why is he not translating as well as some might have thought? And how can he improve that? Um, I think it's something – I say it's difference in the position that he's running. Um, the opening preseason game against Milwaukee, he was coming off the bench basically, but playing the three, where you had Roddy running the four, and then the next few nights when they played against Orlando, um, he was the four. And I like what I've saw from Laravia, especially that Milwaukee game at the end. He became more aggressive and was fouling during the transition. And I feel like this was probably best for him to get himself inserted into the offense. In a half-course set, he's just too limited with his three – he just want to look for the three-point shot. But when he's running the court in the open uh, – in the open court in the fast break, he's attacking the rim. He's looking more aggressive and more willing to shoot the shot a bit more. I feel like he will work best in the first unit when you got guys like Jai and Bang pushing up tempo and you could find them for a three. And I'm not saying that he's just stuck in one dimension with the three-point shot, but I feel like if he gets himself asserted of, of running in more transition games, that will open his game up a bit more and then the threes will start falling. Dave, what's, uh, what's your outlook for LaRavia this season? Does the slow shooting start worry you at all? Well, as the uh, world's biggest Larry Bird fan, anyone who went to Indiana State, you know, gets me excited. But I, I think Xavier's, you know, right on the mark there. My, my my problem is, in fact, my biggest frustration with sports is when someone says no one plays defense in the NBA. Uh, everyone hates the NBA, so no one plays defense. And it, well, the same kids that score 25, 30 a game in college, they go in the NBA and they can't score four points a game. Someone's playing defense. They play pretty much world-class defense. They're guarding the best shooters in the world. And, and I the reason I bring that up is because I think the number one thing an NBA player has to do is be able to create their own shot at some point. Usually it's when the shot clock is winding down when everything goes great. And, and, and the play is like a Swiss army knife. You know, the, the coach draws up a great play guys get their shot off, but there's so many talented guys in the league that when the shot clock's winding down, John Moran is unbelievable at this getting a shot off when, you know, when, when the play didn't work correctly, my concern with Laravia is I haven't seen that ability yet. When things go South, when the play, you know, when you, and, and Xavier make a great point when he's going to have talent around him, but I need to see creation from him when 
you know, Jaws not out there with him and Desmond Baines out there with him. Can he can he be creative with the ball? Can he can he get in the lane and get his own shot when the shot clock's winding down? You know, and let's be fair. He only scored 14 and a half in college, six rebounds. He's a nice player. And Kleiman must have seen something in him. And the front office really likes him. And he's a good kid and all that. I know he had, what, uh, 15 against Milwaukee all in the second half, I believe, which was kind of awkward, sort of like. And I didn't understand why he didn't play against Miami. Same with Kenny Lofton. Like, I, I understand um, t- Coach Jenkins is trying to find some lineups, but, you know, couldn't get out there for a couple of minutes. And I, I was a little frustrated by the lineup and, and, frankly, the game against the Heat that we got off the great start and lost. But I'm a little concerned. I'm not saying he can't have a, a good season or be a contributor this year, but I haven't seen a lot of that NBA creation that, that I think you really, really need against the world's best defenders. Yeah, it's super interesting. So I went back, I watched um, some of his highlights from Wake last year. That is what he did at Wake, though, was he, and I think that that's part of his struggles right now, is he had the ball so much more. He was dribbling so much more, and I think that that made him comfortable in getting to his shot and helped him gain some momentum when uh, in the catch-and-shoot game uh, and in other plays as well. So I think that not having the ball in his hand has really thrown him off a little bit. In my opinion, the thing that you pointed out, that Kleiman must have seen something. To me, I actually do like the way he runs in transition, offense and defense. I think he moves up and down the floor really well. He finds his spots. He gets to the corner when he needs to. He fills the lane when he doesn't. I think that that is what Kleiman saw, and not only him, David Roddy as well. I think that they've shown that they have the awareness. It's easier to get away with it in preseason and summer league, leaking out and, and and getting the transition going and stuff like that. You can cheat a little bit more. But I really like the way both those guys move up and down the floor and, and, and fill the lane and stuff like that. It seems like Roddy, you know, very similar in college, came from uh, doing the same thing, dribbling a whole lot, getting his shot off, being the main focus of that offense. He seems to – um found his footing in the NBA without the ball as much, much sooner than LaRavia. But I think mechanically his stroke looks amazing. I I think he has a great jump shot. And as the season continues and he gets more confidence, he will see some shots start to fall. And I think that that was my biggest thing that I wanted to see from this draft is adding some more three-point shooting. Um, And I think, you know, it took Zaire last year a while to get comfortable and get that, get that confidence um, to where he started. Well, to that point, I wanted to ask Xavier because, uh, you know, what was it, two years ago, Desmond Bain used the summer league to really work on that facilitation, kind of being the lead ball handler. You just mentioned it, Matt, last year was higher. Xavier, do you feel like like LaRavia may be the next one, like next year in the summer league, that they try to feature him in that same role where, where they where he does do some of those things he did at Wake Forest? By the way, I'm just mad because he scored 31 against Carolina, you know, <laughs> when, he was, when he was in college. I, I was just about to say, we go back and look at Bain rookie season. All he was just known for was just being a spot-up shooter. And I think that's what a lot of people are expecting from Moravia to be a spot-up shooter right now. But, yeah, you, we we look and see what, what he can produce. We can't just critique him and judge him so harsh because it's just preseason and we just seen what he could do in summer league. As more as he learned, like, the lineups that the guys that he'll be around, he might develop into more and more comfortable being able to shoot the more threes and being a shot creator. But, yeah, I look forward in the future that I think the coaching staff always want to challenge our younger guys and want them to add and keep growing. So, LaRavia being a shot creator or a facilitator down the line, that will help 
was even bigger. Yep, and I I still have a lot of stock in LaRavia. Like, I know the other guys have probably looked better, but I, I'm buying all the stock. I think he's going to have a really good season. He'll, he'll get it figured out eventually. He's going to keep uh, playing, and he will eventually find some confidence, I think, and start seeing some shots go in. All right, let's move on. Let's catch another rookie. Uh, let's embrace a little debate, guys. <sighs> All right, fellas, let's embrace a little debate here. We've talked about LaRavia, Kenny Lofton. We're going to get to Kenny Chandler in just a second, but let's chop it up a little bit about David Roddy. Xavier, do you believe that he is the most NBA-ready of this Grizzlies rookie class? Indeed, I do. David Roddy has really impressed me. Um, he's able to play multiple positions. And by the way, I've been playing with the Grizzlies on 2K. David Roddy's a bucket. Y'all <laughs> go use David Roddy on 2K. He is a bucket. But besides that, David Roddy has really looked NBA ready. You asking him to guard multiple positions, he's been able to do that. He's been able to play the floor, up the four, and he's been able to play make. And what more can you ask for a, a wing and a versatile guy? Typically, I know coming back from his Colorado days, he was that guy. He was having the ball in his hands. And to see him adjust so quickly of being – doing whatever what the coach is asking him to do, spotting up in the corners to shoot, whether it's attacking the rim and kicking out and finding the open guys. David Roddy has really impressed me. Defensively, he still can work on that a little bit more. But just off the jump, just from three games of preseason, I've enjoyed watching David Roddy. Dave, what's uh, weird body Roddy? Where do you stand? <laughs> hey, by the way, isn't it fun to do a show like this uh, where we can talk about some rookies that may actually really contribute this season? I mean, I, I wouldn't have been as excited to talk about Jarrell Martin or, you know, Wade Baldwin the fourth tonight, I don't think as much. So, you know, we, we've had we've had some really, really nice draft picks recently, and, and this is a good class. It's been fun to, to break it down like this. I think Xavier's right. I think Roddy is the most NBA ready. I'm a big believer in, like, body language and how people carry themselves I think Roddy plays and looks like he has confidence in himself. So whatever he may lack as an NBA ready player right now, I think he's going to work hard. I think he's coachable. I, I used to coach my son's basketball team and I would tell the kids, be strong with the ball. When you have the ball, be hold it. When you rebound it, grab it. When you know, when, when you have the ball and I, I see Roddy and he's strong with the basketball. He finishes nicely around the rim. He's confident in what he can do in the open court. I think he's going to be a really nice player this year for the Memphis Grizzlies. I don't know how many minutes that translates to, but I feel like when he's on the court, we're not really going to lose a whole lot. So for me, I think he's clearly the most NBA ready. And it's really interesting because we had to give up DeAnthony Melton to move up to get him. Maybe we still could have gotten him at the traffic. Who knows? I, I think it was worth it. I think he's going to be really effective this year. I like his prospects. Uh, as you said, he's strong with the basketball. He's strong at everything. He is yeah. just a big, solid dude. Like he, He's going to be in there, and he's going to be able to scrap and fight uh, for rebounds. The shooting stroke has really impressed me, honestly. I, I thought that that was something that he uh, needed to demonstrate. As I said, I thought that that was the, should have been the biggest target in this uh, NBA draft for the Grizzlies. Uh, Xavier, he may be the most NBA ready, but where do you kind of see him fitting in the lineup? Do you think he's going to be playing every night? Is he going to be in a playoff rota rotation even towards the end of the year, in your opinion? Well, based from what I've been seeing with the rotations that Jenkins has been running, LaRavia has been the rookie that's the, the go-to right off the bench. 
Um, I don't know how the trust of how much trust he has with Roddy, but I feel like it, down the line it's going to be a game that Roddy has goes off or do tremendously well. And that's that from there, that's when he has his trust and he can continue playing him and jump on the jump. I want to see Roddy in rotation. I would love to see him at least have a, at least 15 to 20 minutes. And like I said, he's very versatile. Depending on the opponents and the matchups that they're going against, you could put him at within the, the two to the four. So re- regardless, it he can find find you and buy you some minutes somehow, some way, because I, he's, he's effective out there. Like, you got to have a guy out there like him. Yeah, incredibly switchable and versatile for sure. Can play a bunch of different spots. Dig, where do you want to see him play the most, though? Do you see him as being kind of a, a, a in that four role and maybe a smaller lineup, or do you like him more on the wing as a, as maybe that three, maybe even a two position next to say a guy like Kennedy Chandler with a deep bench rotation? Yeah, and and I don't know, and and I mean that in that uh, it's going to really depend on nightly matchups, I think, and that's what I really like about this rookie class. It's what I like. It's what I like about the roster. I think if we play a smaller team like Golden State that could put four shooters out there, we have guys that we run out there and guard the perimeter. So Roddy, you know, maybe against bigger, stronger teams, he is at the, you know, the three maybe. And, you know, we put a bigger lineup underneath him or or maybe he's at the four for playing because I do think he's a pretty confident, versatile player. I really – there's something about the way he carries himself, his confidence I really like. And, and I think night to night – we're going to be playing different styles. Now, the only problem with that is sometimes you don't dictate your own style. We don't want to always be playing chess off the other team. We want people to prepare for the Memphis Grizzlies too, right? So it's going to be interesting to see how Taylor Jenkins take, because I think we have a really interesting roster. I'm just not sure yet how to answer that question, Matt, because I, I don't know if we're going to win, if he's talented enough and as the other rookies are to impose our will and impose their talents, or are we going to be playing a little more defensively on what the other rosters are? It's like in hockey, right? The home team gets the last line change. You know, I, I, I want the Grizzlies to be sort of the last line. Change. This is how we're going to play. Right. And other teams have to adjust to what the Memphis Grizzlies do. Yeah. yeah and I think that they do, at least last season, it seemed like, you know, they they dictate the speed of most games. They like to get out and mm-hmm. run. And I think that they identified all the three main guys, Chandler, Roddy, and LaRavia. I've really liked what they do in transition. Obviously, you get the ball out of the net. A guy like Kennedy Chandler can push it up the floor really quickly. He's super fast with the ball in his hands. And I've seen Roddy and LaRavia, as we just talked about, fill the lane, get to the corners, do whatever they need to do. They've been really good in transition. So I think – the Grizzlies are going to dictate the speed that they always have uh, done in, in certain matchups. They, they like to get out and run, as I said. And I think they identified those three guys in particular in the draft and said, hey, these guys fit what we do already. They're ready to get out and run. And, and continuing with speed, David Roddy, for him to be that big, have that big frame, he can move. He can move pretty fast. I believe, was it the Milwaukee? I, I cannot remember if it was the Milwaukee or the Orlando game, but he got – he played the passing lane and he got across that court so quick and everybody was like, there's no way a big dude should be running that fast. But I really think that Roddy, you know, like we've been saying, he's just such a versatile player and he can run, you can put him in a half-court set. And I've enjoyed what I've seen from Roddy. Yeah, I think he is 
going to be primed to I, I, I yeah Laravia has played more but Roddy's shown way more in the, in the in the opportunities he's had so I think that especially early in the season until Jaron gets back that we're going to see a lot of both guys we'll see um you know where they kind of fit in with everything it'll all shake out but uh all right let's uh finish up here with Kennedy Chandler well, let's give uh let's give out a couple of awards real quick Okay, we're going to call this segment the Trophy Case. We're going to be giving out a couple of awards every week to a bunch of different guys, but we're focused on the rookies this week, so let's look at Kennedy Chandler. A couple superlatives we've got lined up for him here. Xavier, I'll start with you here. What is going to be the best use of Kennedy Chandler's rookie season? Is he going to be playing a lot? Is he going to be kind of a uh, jaw insurance, as we talked about so much? What's going to be the way that we can get the best use out of Chandler and he have the most successful season he can possibly we looking at Chandler as the Mr. Learning learner. Like he has to learn a lot, but at the same time, he has a lot of value. I was so surprised and impressed by Kennedy Chandler, the opening preseason game against Milwaukee. Lining up against Drew Holiday is a tough, tough opponent. He's one of the best defensive guards in the league, and he handled his own. Not only that, their backup guard, Javon Carter, former Grizzlies, is a defensive point guard as Clamps. well and Kennedy handled his own I believe he finished that game with a lineup of nine five and I believe four steals a- again he's playing the passing lanes he, he knows how to read the defense and knows which which ways I, one thing I love about Kennedy watching his game when he's picking up the opposing guard he's always trying to get them to go to their weak weakest hand dribbling the ball and I, I love that already from a guy that's just a rookie, 19, 20 years old. But at the same time, Kennedy has a lot to learn. Um, it's a lot of the times that I see him driving inside the paint that he could just go ahead and finish, but he ends up passing the ball. I, I love that he's being unselfish, but you got to get yours too, and you got to know what's best. So Kennedy has a lot. I wouldn't say he has a whole lot to learn, but he's in the Mr. Learning seat in this season. And he's got two great guards to learn from. Dave, what's going to be the best use of Kennedy Chandler this season? Boy, boy, you guys just hit hit it on the head there. I mean, he's got a lot to learn, and he's in the right system to learn it, right? He's already got a close personal relationship with John Morant. And I would have answered it the previous segment that maybe he was the most NBA-ready, but being a point guard in this league is very, very difficult. So the best use of his rookie season is to get him as much playing time as possible somewhere. I think and if he's going to be playing for the Memphis Grizzlies, the big, the big team, I think uh, – he is good insurance in a way. Let's hope Ja gets through the season. But if Ty- if Tyus has to step in and start, I'm sort of comfortable with, with Kennedy running that second unit right now. Uh, he's going to continue to get better. But the other thing, if you remember, that they did a lot last year was Ja and Tyus would play together. So maybe Kennedy can be that backup point guard with the second unit when that happens. And then I think the important piece to that is you have to surround him with versatile ball handlers as well. Zaire Williams even maybe Desmond Bain sliding off that, that first unit. I don't think you can put Kennedy Chandler out there with all second unit guys and, and maybe even a third unit guy, uh, you know, depending on injuries and expect him to, to, to really at this level perform as a rookie. He's going to be really, really good. He's a super fun kid, but I think you better surround him with some veterans and some leadership. So he doesn't do too much. I think point guards in this league tend to try to do too much. Xavier makes a great point. Like they still got to get theirs, but they got to get the teammates involved. It's a very complicated position. We're a little bit, uh, um, I would a little bit, uh, you know, the thing with John Moran came in and like lit up the league right away. We're a little spoiled, right? You know, here, here comes John Moran. It's like, 
God almighty, where did this guy come from? Uh, I, I think Kennedy Chandler can be a very effective NBA point guard, but but not right out of the shoot. So I think they have to kind of shield him a little bit by putting around a lot of talent around him. While we're on the subject of who he would play best with, let's move on to our second superlative here. Who is the best backcourt pairing for Kennedy Chandler, Dave? I think, boy, that's that's a tough one. And again, I think it depends on the opponent. Uh, I think the best backcourt pairing for him has to be someone that he can swing the ball to. So I'm going to say, because he's the one who's going to play usually in the second unit, Zaire Williams, uh, because Zaire is getting more confident with the ball. And I think they want Zaire at times to even be that point on the second unit. But I, I don't know that that's the best answer for this. I'm, I'm curious uh, what you guys have to say. Xavier, yeah, I'll let you me, go ahead. Yeah, for me, I have to continue to watch and see what's what he excels and and who's best fitted around him. I I would want a shooter around him because because he's able to penetrate and attack. He's drawing defenders. So with that, you got to kick it out and you have a shooter. But at the same time, I agree with you, Dave. Like, I don't know if he's necessarily ready to handle the ball handling assignment 24-7. And so as Zaire, he's becoming more confident. We watched him grow to a, a, a better ball handler this past summer league and as well during the preseason. Mm -hmm. That will take a lot of the load off of Kennedy, especially being a rookie. You can't expect so much for him to learn and know so much right away. It's a tough position, like you said. Zaire, he's able to make the stand still knock down shots and as well to create and penetrate. So someone like Zaire or Desmond Bain, I feel like those probably are two guys that, that compare well with, with Kennedy. Let me ask you, Matt, uh, going into the draft, a lot of the critique, a lot of the concern over Kennedy Chandler was his size. Do you think that's still a concern? I'm more concerned about learning the NBA point guard position. Do you think, think his size is a concern? Yeah, I think leading into the draft, it was the reason I didn't necessarily want him to come to the Grizzlies. I obviously am a Tennessee Vols fan, so I watched him all year. He was a huge part of that SEC championship team. The more I've thought about it, the more I've watched the preseason and summer league stuff, he has always been that size. You know, he's playing against bigger guys now, but he knows how to get a shot off. So offensively, it does not really concern me that much, his size. Like, he's a smart kid. He knows how to get to his spots. He can finish in traffic and stuff like that. So it doesn't really concern me offensively. But defensively, and that brings me to my answer to this question, which you guys you guys did not uh, mention him at all. But I think Dylan Brooks is kind of the answer for who should Ooh. be playing with him because he um, does – he can fill in some of those defensive gaps. And, and let me be clear, I think that Kennedy Chandler has a really good uh, ability to make defensive plays in terms of uh, jumping passing lanes, raking at at the ball handler from the um, you know when he is an off ball defender in the help position. I think he can do those things really well. But when he goes against bigger guards, that's where I'm concerned. And I think that it, playing him with a guy like Dylan Brooks and maybe Zaire as well, having some more length and some more defensive ability uh, to back him up is really what's going to make him the most successful. So that's why I had him as the, as the best backcourt parent. But now that Kennedy is there, is here, I, I really like him. Obviously, I think he's going to be great. City loves him, so it's going to be good. I'll, um, yeah, I just wanted to quickly add, going back to the draft again, 2020, when we drafted Desmond Bain, a, a big reason why his stock fell all the way down to the 30th pick was due to the length. Everybody wants a guy that with the long wingspan. Desmond Bain, of course, doesn't just have the tremendous wingspan. But look at look what the player he has become. 
He's an established as a knockdown shooter, and he's able to attack the rim. It's looking like he's trying to become a three-level scorer in this league. We just don't know what Kennedy can become. I know it's, it's knacking that he does not have the length, and that's what every NBA talent want now. Lint, lint, lint. Look, look at Victor Wambayama now. <laughs> so, but I still think Kennedy has some value on the court. Like he, he's a tremendous playmaker. I've seen that, and then like you said, on the ball playing the passing lanes and whatnot. But surrounding those guys, surrounding his his wings with guys like Dylan Brooks or Zaire Williams, that'll be able to make up from the for the length. Yeah, and I know we were talking about backcourt pairings, but the other thing is having a rim protector with him as well because guys are going to go at him, so we'll, we'll see. But, yeah, I'm really excited. I think Kennedy's going to have a really good year. And, you know, I've kind of been big on this whole let's rest Jaw some more. He's a superstar. Let's get him some load management. I know Jaw doesn't want to do that, but it gives a really good opportunity for Kennedy to step in there and get some playing time and get some experience. Uh, let's finish up here, guys, with our last superlative for uh, Mr. Chandler here. The thing I saw the most, and Xavier, you just kind of brought it up, is when he was driving to the rim, he loves to pass. He loves to give it up. He likes to. And a lot of time he's doing it after he's already left his feet, which is sometimes a concern when you do that a lot and you make a habit out of that. Um, eventually, when, you know, if on down the road, he's a guy who opposing teams are scouting against big time, they will see that that's what he likes to do is, is drive and dish and, and give little dump offs and throw lobs inside. So I have uh, this last superlative here. What is the most likely counter move that Kennedy Chandler is going to develop, Xavier? I think he should follow follow from Tyus and Ja, even Ja, the floater. Having that floater in your bag is so so big. You keep the defensive guess, keep the defensive bigs guessing. It's a high percentage shot. It's an easy shot. I think you do that. So when you do jump in the air and pat, try to pass out a few times. I mean, the defense already knows and looking at the scouting report, okay, yeah, well, he's, he's, he's going to pass right here. Just go up with the floater, easy two points. And then, like I said, you don't know the defense will continue to guess. Yeah, that's a great counter. We've seen Trey Young do it to a really high level where he developed that floater that you could not tell if it was a lob pass or if he was actually shooting the ball, you know, so that that is definitely an effective move that he can develop for sure. Dave, what is the most likely and maybe the most helpful move that he can develop as kind of a counter to uh, kind of his driving kick, drive and dunk game? Yeah, I think it's a little bit like John Moran and it's developing the jump shot. If if he can develop a consistent mid-range jump shot and they have to come out and respect it, it's a lot easier to get around that. And then when you're in the lane there, but but you make a really, really interesting point about leaving your feet. And they always say, like, you know, you, you can't you leave your feet, then you're indecisive, and it, it's a lot of turnovers, right? Uh it, it you you press, you don't make good decisions. So I I think it's developing a jump shot, making sure that he's has to be guarded 10, 12. 15 feet from the basket. And we've said this about John Moran. If he develops a jump, he's, he's going to just, you know, control the league for the, I mean, he's going to be unguardable if they have to come out because he's so dynamic in the lane and so dynamic around the rim. And hopefully Kennedy Chandler really studies and learns from that. But I think if he can consistently knock down jump shots, teams will have to come out, he'll get around and he won't have as much trouble finishing in the lane or dishing out. But that's the part what we talked about earlier about learning how to play point guard at the NBA level. What he could get away with in college, maybe, leaving his feet or, you know, kind of being a little more <laughs> uh, creative in the moment doesn't work against the world's best defenders. So he's going to, that just is some seasoning. He'll learn it. 
Yeah, and I don't, I don't know. The, the whole jump pass thing is – I don't know how much of it is true. There's a lot of guys that get a, a, away with it. Tyrese Halliburton comes to mind. That dude loves to pass when he's already in the air, and some guys just can get away with it. Even Ja sometimes goes up, looks like he's figuring out if he's going to shoot a layup, and then, you know, somehow gets away with a pass uh, to the corner or something, um, you know, in midair. And sometimes it works, sometimes it looks awesome, but eventually it's something that he can't. Uh, Kennedy's not going to be able to rely on every single time. Just when I was going back through the, the preseason games today, it just seemed like that was his only move was uh, going up. And once he got the defender to commit, eventually just uh, dumping it off to somebody in the dunker spot. So I, I think that eventually, um, as the case with it, it, as is the case for all of these rookies, they're going to have to continue to work on their games, uh, flush out some new moves and figure out how they can uh, become a better holistic player. And Kenny Chandler uh, is no exception to that. Guys, that's everything uh, we have for the show today. Uh, Xavier, why don't you plug YouTube, Twitter, uh, TikTok, everything where everybody can find you. Yeah, uh, I just dropped my first YouTube video, you guys. So check it out. Uh, my name Xavier Dots, and I believe it's A-Time at the end. TikTok is underscore X-Z-A-Y, and then Twitter is A-Time Takes. Dave, get your plugs in. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at, at DOB19338. And, uh, Matt, quick before we sign off today, is this the biggest Tennessee football game coming up next weekend in, what, 20 years? <laughs> it's not even close, dude. I'm so excited. We are number six now. Uh, we went in, you know, I don't know how much. Hey, speaking of, shout out y'all's Cowboys today. But, uh, yeah, we we went into Tiger Stadium yesterday, and we, we put a whooping on those boys, honestly. We looked really good from the opening kickoff. So, yeah, that game's going to be huge. I, I'm going to try to get a ticket, but it's going to be a tough ticket to get. But, uh, yeah, Heibel's got those boys rolling, man. I love Tennessee football this year. It's a lot of fun. And um, we'll see. Their basketball team should be okay. They usually are. Uh, shout out Rick Barnes. But, uh, anyways. <laughs> Your tailgate probably starts on Thursday, right? The game's, what, 3.30 on Saturday? Yeah. yeah. It'll be, yeah. be a good time at Old Rocky Top on uh, Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think it's their best chance they've uh, ever had since I went to school there or anything. So uh should be a good game. But, yeah, uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, also, I'll get my plug in there. Uh, at Matt H. Gill on all platforms, you can follow me there, uh, as well as follow, uh, interact, like, retweet the Core 4 Podcast Twitter account, uh, like, review, subscribe on Apple, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, everywhere you can find podcasts, you can find the Core 4 Podcast, the only podcast for hardcore Grizzly fans. Thanks. We'll talk to you guys next time. Stolen by Moran. Hammer. Nail. Coffin. This baby is over.